Germany's social market economy combined free markets with a strong welfare state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can. Education, education, and education. Hello and welcome back to the Centre Think Tanks podcast, the Centrist podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will Barber-Taylor. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Sandiford, Parish Councillor for Forsbrook, Chair of the Stafford and Stone Liberal Democrats, Stone's Lib Dem Parliamentary Candidate and Blythe Bridge Ambassador for In Your Area UK. Welcome to the podcast, Alec. Hello there, Will. You okay? Yeah, I'm great. It's great to have you on, Alec, because we've got a, a variety of things um, to talk about in today's podcast. And I'd like to start by discussing local justice areas. Now, the Conservatives are pressing ahead with abolishing local justice areas, something that Centre has campaigned against. How do you think this will impact local justice? Well, I really... Um despair at the policy actually and um it's gonna have a massive negative effect on on local justice um if you look at the last two years with covid um and the the backlog in in cases and it's already at a record high and the government's response to it is well, actually, our proposals will um, actually clear the backlog. It'll be more transparent and a more fair, um, just, if you like, yeah. use the pun, um, way of dealing with it. Well, if you actually look at the detail and look at how magistrates' courts are um, currently coping with issues, they're actually, you know, to no fault of their own, they're actually on the knees. You know, there's a massive mm. sort shortage of magistrates as it is and I actually think that you'll have because with magistrates now you have local people that attend their nearest local court and usually they have a good scope of local issues the demographs and um, that gives them a good a good knowledge base to to make decisions when it comes to 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 trials and mm. i just personally believe that the government's response is gonna is gonna have a complete goes completely os- um, opposite to what they actually want i think it will reduce transparency i have huge issues with um with how ethnic minorities are particularly going to be treated and dealt with um and i think they should just look look again at the proposals mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of um, justice more broadly, I mean, you mentioned there um, the fact that, you know, a lot of um, local magistrates, local county courts really are on their knees in terms of dealing with cases. What kind of reforms do you think need to take place to the legal system overall to make it so that it can deal with the backlog of cases that have arisen um, due to coronavirus and also make it fairer for people in general? Well, I, that's a really good question, actually, Will. And um, just thinking quickly about that, I would like to see uh, more courts use, um, utilise technology as, we, you know, with 
all seen and got used to with COVID. So um, virtual hearings for, for lesser crimes should be an option. I, I believe that quite a lot of cases that, that go to court can be dealt with outside mm. of the court. But then with that, that puts pressure on um, the local police resource and also the CPS, which again, both are on their knees. And, and you know, the Conservatives talk about record funding in our court system. You, they talk about record police numbers and it's just simply not there. Um, it's, I mean, I can talk about Staffordshire um, as this is where I live and have grown up, but they're not there. And they need to be a, a lot more flexible in, in how hearings are dealt with um, and make it a lot easier. And I'll go back to the point that a lot of cases shouldn't actually end up getting to court in the first place. And I think they need to be looking at them and, um, and legislate in reforming the build-up to trial rather than expecting magistrates to absorb all the work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, one of those um, issues that is also really a, a real problem for those who are involved in the, the legal system at the moment is legal aid and the cuts to legal aid um, that we've seen. I mean, what kind of impact do you think that cuts to legal aid have had on those who were seeking to um, be a part of the criminal justice system, whether they have been um, accused of something or whether they need uh, legal aid in order to um, prosecute, for example, uh, a landlord that may have not been uh, keeping their home up to the standards of repair that they should have done? Well, I just think that um, the... I've always believed that the cut to legal aid and where we are now with the legal aid system is absolutely shambolic. And what it what it does is directly, directly affect the, the most vulnerable and the, the the least well off in our society. And the Tories have a knack of of um, of slamming our society and changing it into a two-tier system where it only benefits those who can afford. To, to cover their own legal costs. I mean, it it's it massively worrying to me um, when you hear comments from organisations like the Women's Aid about that there's record numbers of people that um, stay in abusive, coercive relationships, for example, because their their partner is the one who controls um, the finances. So that they're not able to 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 escape the family home and 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 protect themselves legally, they just can't afford it. And to your point of of uh, rogue landlords, uh, bullying tenants, and and expecting them to live in substandard conditions, there's no there's no legal protection for them, and that's disgraceful. And um, we live in you know the 21st century, the fifth largest com- economy in the world. And we should be protecting our citizens a lot more than 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 what's currently um, on offer. Hmm. And again, legal aid isn't there for everyone. Legal aid's there for the for for those who are most in need, and that should be protected and and encouraged. 
Absolutely. And um, on that issue of housing, that's something that has really been discussed quite a great deal um, during the local elections. Now, as we're recording this, the local elections have yet to happen. They, may, of course, have actually happened by the time this episode has come out. But alongside housing, one of the issues that has really been talked about has been council tax in light of the rising cost of living. So in regards to council tax, would you replace or reform it if you had the ability to? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to um, pretend that I'm a massive council tax expert on this. But if you just take the area where I live, uh, there's massive disparity between property to property. So I so you have an area where you could have a house and the owners of the house uh, are well after the, the, the house is £400,000 plus who pay the same council tax as people who live in um, a two-bedroom semi-detached house um, struggling to make ends meet. So I I would rather... I've always been the fan and will always be the fan of fairness. And I think that the best way to look at it possibly would be to to completely look at the abandoned uh, properties or maybe look at land value. Um mm-hmm. Um, property value um like i say i'm not a massive expert on council tax um but i think that when you have such a mishmash of properties in the same area when the area is valued just completely across the board and there's clearly people out there who can afford to pay a little bit more than others surely that's a more fairer way of looking at it than just expecting the whole the whole banded area to, to pay the same mm-hmm. absolutely and on on the issue of housing and land obviously one of the things that has been discussed a great deal is how we ensure that there is a greater supply of housing particularly um, council houses whilst also ensuring that we make continuing commitments to helping the environment. What do you see as the way to ensure that we keep environmental protection, ensure that we're cutting our carbon emissions whilst also replenishing the housing stock, which of course has been greatly reduced over the past few decades? Well, firstly, I'll take your point of building more houses. Now we've got an issue with um, the why uh, planning paper that essentially takes all powers away from parish councils, uh, planning committees, and just gives a complete, complete power over to the developers who, mm. you know, let stereotypically they have just they completely just have any no regard for the for the environment, and it's all about cheap, fast profit and. Um, so I would look at, so around here, you've got Stoke-on-Trent, which is just up the road, and it's got huge, huge brown um, brownfield sites that can be, um, and a lot of empty derelict housing. Mm. So if I was looking at how to improve housing stock, I would look at, at um, renovating derelict or empty housing, um, looking at brownfield sites, which then takes the pressure away from being built on greenbelt land. Um, talk about um, energy. 
improving the efficiency of homes in Stafford and Stone, which is my parliamentary constituencies and indeed my local uh, political party, um, 78 percent of houses are poorly insulated, mm. which increases energy costs and lowers down price value. So I think that properties should be there should be some kind of grant scheme out there that goes through the local authorities where people can improve the qualities of the home they actually live in um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in in terms then of just um, thinking of the reason um, that we have ended up in a situation where there is a great decrease in the amount of housing, a lot of people have pointed to right to buy as being the reason that we have had a decreased supply in housing, in, in, in council housing and affordable housing in general. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think of the right to buy scheme and how it was introduced? I, I initially I thought, you know, that I thought that the idea was had good, good intentions, but apparently seemingly over the years it's proven to have a neg a negative impact and if you look at right to buy and um to link in the cladding sc scandal people were buying properties that were substandard and below the expectation of both the the owner and and now the the, the wider communities i mean if you i think you know, the housing crisis started when council houses were sold off in the 80s under Thatcher mm. and the stock wasn't wasn't um, replaced. Um, and we have an issue now where people literally can't get on the property ladder. I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's like um, home ownership. So you uniquely British um, mindset where mm. where we're. I don't know whether we're conditioned or gaslit to to be convinced that owning your own home is the 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 most important thing to aspire to. Um, if you look at continental countries, you you know, uh, um, rental and renting properties is a lot more popular way of of living. Um, and I don't really, I don't really know what the solution is, unfortunately. Well, um, yeah. you've caught me off, off guard on that one, I would have to say. Yeah, well, it, it's something that certainly um, we've been looking at at Centre. And I think that, as you say, it's uh, a case of a failure to replenish the um, home ownership market and the uh, home buying market, the amount of houses that are available in Britain, because we've had a, a degree of um, selling off housing, whether under uh, right to buy, whether under selling off the council houses, or whether under simply making it so that it's much more difficult, as, as you touched upon, um, to get on the housing ladder. So it, of course, inflates the, the price of houses around other houses. So it, it just makes it much more difficult um, to buy homes. But I'd like to turn um, now just away from housing to something that's connected to it, but is both domestic and international. Um, the government have announced that they plan to send asylum seekers uh, to Rwanda rather than allowing them into the UK 
to be processed. Now, this is a scheme that Israel uh, pre previously uh, partook in a version of it, but since decided that they didn't uh, want to take part in the scheme, that they felt that the scheme was a failure. What do you think of it? Do you think this is the right way to treat asylum seekers, or do you think that it's simply another attempt by the government to find a way to prove that they're being uh, hard and, and, and strong, not all these sorts of um, words that they have a tendency to use on border control, rather than actually offering a detailed solution to the issue of people crossing from Calais to Britain? Well, I firstly, I would just like to, to say on this, I, I feel immensely strong and absolutely outraged at the uh, at the government's handling, not just with um, the the current policy on Rwanda, but yeah, if you look at Syrian refugees, Afghanistan refugees, Iraqi refugees, um, this government doesn't like immigrants clearly, and the way the way they conduct themselves and literally try and gaslight the nation into believing that there's a massive a massive crisis now one thing that i will like just quickly say is this this whole story i think it's just been concocted to take away to take the headlines away from partygate and all the law breaking surrounding um lockdowns when you know boris johnson and and others were just literally laughing at the nation but coming back to the policy I just can't believe that the UK government is literally engaging in human trafficking. You know, I, I, it's put aside that the actual policy itself is ill thought out, is going to cost hundreds of millions, if not billions. And essentially, it's a one way ticket, isn't it? And we're sending them to a country that has questionable human rights records. Other African nations have looked at the proposals with surprise mm. and it, it's just absolutely shambolic. And they, even if you look at Ukraine, they make it as difficult as possible for anyone seeking refuge in this country. And when, when you look at the actual figures of refugees or immigrants, whatever you would like to call them, 78% of them are key workers. Most of them have skills. Why, what, I, I don't see when we've got a masses, massive gaps in the NHS and other, other sects that are crying out for labor. Why can't we just treat them properly and put them and have them as functional members of our society. You, you know, I, I, I've, I've never, I've never, I've never been able to fathom why the Conservatives in particular are obsessed with refugees, immigrants, and gaslighting the nation to think it's a massive, massive deal always a massive problem it it's absolutely ludicrous i mean you know they're literally jumping on the the nigel farage or oh, pointing at dinghies um territory I, I i just don't 
understand why they are doing it and you know and i think that the the conservatives are are, are just approaching you know right-wing territory when they're putting off their very own core traditional voters mm. most people in in this country do not agree with with their handling of refugees you know it i mean just look at ukraine 200 people signing up to, to house ukrainian refugees you know you, mm. you know i i just absolutely ashamed of of how we look to other nations around the world when when this this is how we treat the most vulnerable humans seeking help i mean boris johnson says that we're this global britain leading the way well we certainly don't lead the way in compassion and humanity and humility um by any stretch of the imagination mm. and you you mentioned um Partygate there, and a lot of people have, have made the same um, suggestion as you. This announcement has been timed to distract attention from it. I mean, the, the Prime Minister is meant to be making a statement before MPs at some point today um, on this issue alongside um, the current war in Ukraine, which you touched upon as well, and, and also Rwanda. What do you think he will say in the statement? And do you think that it's now time for him and other people who have been who've been fined, um, such as the Chancellor of the Exchequer? Do you think it's time for them to resign? Well, in short, Will, yes. Um, and I would hope that when the Prime Minister comes out later on this afternoon to put the record straight, as he puts it, um, that he will have, if there's any decency, and he values the position of Prime Minister and the office and the country in which he serves, that he will actually resign. Unfortunately, I think that what he is going to do is come out with a lot of bluster and he'll probably blame people around him yet again um, without taking any responsibility. But let's just get this straight. Boris Johnson misled parli uh, Parliament, lied to the people, and told them to follow rules when he never. And there's no, you know, I'm still astounded now that it's been 80, 90 odd days since it all come out, that he's still in office. Hmm. I mean, he, he clearly has got no, no respect for the British people or our democratic process. Even if you look at Owen Patterson, when he was found out to, to, to breach parliamentary rules and procedure, what did he do? Rather than asking him to resign or removing the whip from him, he tried to change the rules. And when you've got a prime minister that has complete disregard for anyone around him or the rules that he actually sets himself, then I'm looking at the MPs around that other Conservative MPs, you know, they need to do the decent thing and remove him. And they seem, you know, Jake, Jacob Rees-Mogg um, and various other cabinet members <clears throat> all seem to all, all have all have this inability to, to actually feel the mood of the of the people. And people are are angry and we're not going to let it go. I mean, to be told it's all 
to be told by Jacob Rees-Mogg just to move on, it's absolutely insulting to everyone in this country that sacrificed something and, and you know, whether it was loss or, or, or just any issue, everyone doubt had something they had to deal with. And you had the Prime Minister and his chums just partying away. I mean, you know, it's just an, every day I just can't get my head around why he's still still there in office. You had Theresa May, the previous prime minister, who resigned because she couldn't get the deal through Parliament. And, you know, I think quietly, quite a few of them Conservative MPs will be wishing that she was still prime minister because she she had many flaws and faults, but at least she had dignity, respect and basic principles that Boris Johnson seemingly just will never possess. Hmm. Mm. I'd like to turn now um, to the electoral system because the UK uses first past the post for UK elections, including those at council levels. Um, Do you think we should switch to a more proportional system? And if so, what system would you prefer it that we switch to? Um, Well, well, yeah, I mean, I, I... I think our current voting system is not fit for purpose, completely archaic. And when you look at most modern democracies around the world, they all use a form of proportional representation. And it's quite, it should stand out to listeners that the only other European country that uses first past the post is Belarus. And um, that's not really a shining example of a democracy. Um, in terms of um, what what form I would use, I think one of the fairest forms is um, single transferable votes. Um, and I actually believe that, well, what's worrying, what, what is worrying is that the, the government's kind of looking at ways of, of increasing first past the post in this country. And um, I'm... <laughs> I'm a firm believer that that if we had a form of portion representation like single transferable votes, even at local election level, I think that big societal issues would have been resolved and wouldn't have led to to, to referendum like the Brexit vote. Mm. Um, I, I I look at um, local MPs around here that have their weights have their votes weighed rather than counted. I. I I see the same MPs getting elected time and time again without doing absolutely anything for constituents. And it just seems to me the fairest way. I, you know, I, I've spoke to many people within my constituency that have voted, you know, in their 80s, that have voted since they were 18 and a bit older for, for women, obviously. And they've never seen the MP that they've wanted and you know that's how sad is that that we live in a democracy you have people that vote election after election that never get the candidate they want because it's completely rigged and 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 goes against goes against lesser smaller parties which i think that the best candidate the most pro- proactive productive candidate should be elected it just never never works that way I and mean, if you look at boris johnson's majority he had an 80-seat majority of 43% of the votes. And that, 
that to me, that's that should just be alarming to most people. How you can have an 80 seat majority of less than half of the public vote. And if that doesn't say that the first past the post voting system's wrong, then I don't know what else will. Hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... We're coming to the end of the podcast, Alec. It's been great to have you on. And I have one final question for you. Um, Now, of course, as we're recording this, Easter uh, has just passed. And there are, of course, a lot of um, different um, religious holidays that are associated um, with this time of the year, including Ramadan and Passover. Um, But one of the things that is most associated, Easter rather, is, of course, Easter bunnies now you can get easter chocolate easter bunnies in a variety of different um shapes and sorts so my final question to you alec is this if you could receive a chocolate easter bunny uh shaped after any politician living or dead who would you pick to have a chocolate easter bunny uh representing a particular politician of oh i oh that that's interesting um I don't know. Um, someone that I want to eat or particularly dislike, or someone, <laughs> someone, someone that I love and 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 will cherish. Have um, any any thoughts either way? Which one you would? Uh, <laughs> which one you'd like I don't to... know. I, I, I don't know. It depends what kind. Of... Okay, okay. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say um, a, someone that I admire and um is from my political party i'm gonna say um paddy ashdown i think that's very appropriate Uh, a paddy ashdown chocolate easter bunny is certainly something that i think would be very popular um with the public thank you once again for coming on the podcast alec if people want to find out more about you uh where should they go to find out more about you um well the Best place probably in this day and age is Twitter. So at Al Sandiford 87 or my Facebook page, which is at Alec Lib Dems, or you can get me on email as well, which is Alec at alexandiford.org.uk. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast.